Welcome to another Pint with Shawnee B coming to you today from London. We're in a little garden in the back of a cheap-ass hotel that I'm staying in. And I have a very interesting guest to talk to today. She has lived a very peripatetic life in the music industry. Mainly. Mainly. And she's now the managing director of a company called Key Production, which is a creative agency that seems to produce products and things, music-related stuff. But I'm going to find out more about that and her life and where she's come. I'm welcoming to the podcast, Karen Emanuel. Did I say her second name right or was it Emmanuel? <laughs> it depends how old you are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer, Emmanuel. Tell me what Key Productions does, first of all. Okay, so Key Production essentially was set up in 1990 as an agency to manufacture music industry product. So starting simply, it was sort of CDs, vinyl, DVDs, and the print and packaging that goes with them. We're also specialists in creative packaging. That's not just for the music industry, but it's for all different industries that need sort of high-end bespoke creative Would you do like packaging for supermarket brands and stuff like that, or? Um, We could, we tend more to do it for Clothing, clothing brand, okay. high-end clothing brands, oh. um, high-end drinks, drinks brands, and, and some of the high-end merchandise that some of the clothing companies do as well. So. Yeah. So 1990 was the boom. You, you know, you were surfing that CD wave, right? Certainly was. Uh, you know, things have changed an awful I know. lot. <laughs> so I, I started sort of very much in vinyl, and then the CD wave came along. And not only in the 90s was the CD wave, but obviously it was the Britpop wave I was young and um, having a very good time (laughs) in the music industry but then the other thing that happened is CDs came and went and now vinyl is kind of never dies right it's well it's it's never died and it's come back fairly strong although sometimes it's a bit of a misnomer as people saying oh there's a huge explosion of it I mean don't get me wrong there is a big one do you think vinyl will ever outsell CDs again um, at the moment, it's looking fairly unlikely because yeah. although people think CDs have disappeared, they haven't in the slightest. No, 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 and yeah. they're, there's a, they're actually sort of still a lot stronger than, than people think. So a yeah. lot of very young people don't necessarily buy CDs, but a lot of sort of middle-aged, older people still buy them as, as the, the you know, thing of choice. I've had quite a lot of musicians on the on the show Monday from Ireland and recently Gavin Glass, where we talked an awful lot about the perils of being a struggling musician these days and how you know no one buys records or cds anymore and even to the point where gavin was saying he didn't know whether it was even worthwhile in producing an album and the only reason he produces an album is to sort of say to himself there's my fifth album and you know where do you see the future of the music industry going i suppose you you hear different things from different people don't you i mean certainly so from where i'm sitting We've still got very sort of small artists that's still producing sort of low quantities of both CDs and vinyl that they sell at gigs yeah. to their mates, making to Ashtonos. There is a lot of merch. What we've seen a lot with sort of bands that've been around for a while, and they've got a fan base. People are actually willing to spend a lot more money on something that's very very special, sort of box, box sets. sets yeah. You um, two have one, got yeah. loads of Stuff bits and pieces in them and we manufacture all that and we give bands ideas of what to do and we, I mean we've, we've always got bands coming in out of the office signing stuff so that to make everything a bit more personalized for people yeah and I don't really see that going away to be honest with you yeah. um I mean yeah we've seen huge changes as time's gone on and CD singles which used to be a mainstay of my income yeah. have completely disappeared 
But weirdly, we're doing more cassettes at the moment. Really? Yeah. I don't no, even know any more about cassettes. it. Really? <laughs> no, it's very strange. Like actual, actual recorded, recorded cassettes. Recorded cassettes. Yes. And where are they? Easy who, where are they playing them? Pocket. Who knows? <laughs> old ghetto, but old. <laughs> Well, ghetto blasters. blasters but again it's something when people want to go home from a gig and have a memento they're relatively cheap to buy they fit in your back pocket okay and you've got a memento and yeah, then yeah. and then you'll probably get a download code on it anyway so if you yeah. want to listen to the music you Interesting. can just download it your business yeah. then is probably one that you set up and you had to survive this major trauma right it's certainly been um a <laughs> up and down sort of helter i mean lots of lots of your competitors i'm sure went to the wall um, not, enough. not enough. <laughs> <laughs> Some have um, a lot of factories have gone to the wall. So because yeah. we're an agency, so right. we're not actually a factory, but a lot of the factories have gone to the wall. It's definitely sort of got more difficult. There was a period of time I had to make redundancies of people that I knew and loved, loved yeah, which was horrible. But I've also I've I've acquired companies as I've gone on. Yeah to try to strengthen what we have and to get into other industries. Yeah. It's similar parallels with my business, the ad industry, which has kind of got frozen in the headlights with digital and thought that they were going to muddle through it, but really the whole thing is fragmenting still. And I think there'll be a lot more carnage to come. What's your, uh, you're from, are you from London? Yeah, born, bred, live, die. I'm going to guess 70s, early 70s, <laughs> late 70s. We're similar yes. vintage, aren't we? Yes, I imagine so. You, you can tell I've been running a company since 1990. There's no <laughs> hiding from it. Um, yeah, but it was great. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I absolutely love London. And whilst I'm, I'm very well travelled and I can kind of settle anywhere you put me almost, yeah. my heart's definitely sort of remains here. It's yeah, you know, it's a, it's a multicultural, fabulous place. I can't, you you kind of get stuck in a bit of a bubble because you don't realise that there, there's racism and, and yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think I learned a harsh lesson when I went to university um, when there were some people that had had never been outside their tiny little village and yeah. had never seen a person of colour or a different religion yeah. or anything like that and I was just I was amazed well there is <laughs> there is the London and the rest of Britain yeah you know, there there is London being a, a sort of a a unique melting pot but were you a good student I, I was just re reading about you earlier before the interview and I was there's a there's a, we're going to be discussing a tearaway streak here in you <laughs> at some point Me? in this interview but like what were you like when you were little were you what? clever and smart yes. and did you were you a good girl um I was rebellious from quite an early age I think but I was very smart I always have a joke because I started like nursery quite young right. <laughs> I always joke that my parents wanted to get rid of me um, <laughs> who knows and I, but I carried on working up young because I was bright enough so yeah. I've always been sort of very young for my school age certainly in junior school I was at the top of my class right even being younger senior school was a bit different so I think I was kind of knocked down a peg or two and I was average but I was still the youngest in the class mm. so yeah we're always pretty bright but again in junior school bit of a rebel right. I used to play tricks on the teachers yeah. also a bit of a tomboy I used to play football with the boys and like was the first girl to jump off the top diving board and right, the, the school and, and things like that so yeah I always had um, I suppose characterful what's your family background were you, were you, have you kid, brothers and sisters or were your parents no too? only child uh, only child the amount of only children I have on this podcast really mental mental oh, that's really Are people who've also been Oh, your only children also growing up around adults so hearing adult conversations advancing quickly 
and you know really weird stuff I'm gonna I may have to write a book about it it's it, that, it, it's yeah, and people who, who dropped out of college or left college those are the two big ahas or people who may have had brothers and sisters but felt like an only child right. if you know what I mean that is what really were your folks? What were, you, were they in music at all or anything? No, no, not at all. My dad was a pharmacist, my mum a seamstress. Um, however, I do come from a very, very musical ah, family that's where I was wondering, yeah. background. Uh, my grandma was a pianist. She used to play the piano for the silent movies. In the cinema? <laughs> in the cinema. Brilliant. And my aunt was an opera singer. My great, great, great uncle wrote the Hokey Cokey. You're kidding. I'm not kidding. What's his name? <laughs> if you look him up, it's um, Tabor is really? his surname. Yeah. There's a lot of um, contentiousness ar- around who actually, he, wrote who actually wrote it. But the family have gone back and, and it was him and he sold it for sixpence or whatever and never got the rights back and never got any money from it. And that's what it's anything. all about. Apparently there's been a play written about it as well. And that's what it's all about. That is what I'm it's cracking all about. the joke again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very good. <laughs> right, we can finish. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, yeah, so, that's mental. And, and also sort of had family that played in big bands and things right. like that in the past. So did you start playing music when you were a kid? Did you go I to piano did, lessons yeah, and all that? Yeah, yeah, I did piano lessons. Um, I only did up to grade four because I kind of started discovering, you know, boys and youth club and yeah. going out and yeah. O-levels. And I don't know, any excuse in the book, I hated yeah. practising. Obviously, it's one of those things that you regret in late life. I was up to about grade six. Well, actually, I just didn't like what I was being taught. If I had been taught the hokey cokey or stuff that was more interesting than, you know, the the, the scales, scales and all that kind of crap, I'm going. Yeah, I know you have to kind of learn that, but anyway. And what yeah. what did you did you go to college then? Yep, I went to Leeds University to study genetics. Well, I actually started off studying biophysics and genetics. What the hell possessed you to do genetics? <laughs> I mean, you were ahead of your time. <laughs> I know. People already knew what a gene was then. Do you know what? I reckon... Watson and Crick had just established the, whatever, the double helix. <laughs> what I reckon is that the stuff that I got taught at university is probably what they get taught in junior school these days. <laughs> <laughs> um, what possessed me? I was really fascinated by science. Elements of maths I really liked. I think this is the kind of like the logic in me. I, I liked doing equations because I knew that they were right when you got to the end and you had to problem solve it all. And I yeah. think that sort of looking back, that's that's probably what put me in good stead for business. Yeah. But I was science fascinated me because I wanted to know more about things. I was very inquisitive. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of know how things worked and unravel yeah. it. Obviously, the more you know, the kind of less you know when you do something. Have you always kind of kept in touch with genetics and where it's gone? No. What, what I have kept in contact, I'd say, is what I liked best about genetics was the animal behaviour side of things. Right. I found myself, which I guess we'll come to later with the travelling bit, of travelling to places that particularly had really amazing animal wildlife to go and have a look at. Safaris baboons, yeah. orangutans, yeah. Um, gorillas, you know. You Do you mean the similarities in genetics to us or just the way they behave? Just different? the way they behave and why they behave okay. like that. With the great apes, yes, how they're similar to us, but then... Did you finish in these? I did, unbelievably. What I was got the, a Desmond. What does that mean? Tutu. Oh, okay. Why is it, oh, Desmond Tutu. Tutu. Oh, look at that, I missed that. <laughs> there you go, that's someone who didn't go to college. Well, yeah. I love that. Um, uh, the What were the job opportunities for you were you thinking when you're coming out of college with a I didn't know, genetics I mean, <laughs> degree I suppose one thing to mention when I was at college I was an NSEC for a year so I was booking independent bands and doing a bit of DJing badly 
but it yeah it was a cool job it uh, yeah it meant I got to go to loads of gigs for free and yeah. put on gigs obviously and I, I was the first woman that had ever sort of taken that job on and completed it and I was the first person that to ever have actually made the college money from ah. it so this is where the seed was sown to where you ended up I think yeah, so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and so I kind of got to the end of my time there and I didn't have anywhere to go so I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do so I actually asked one of my professors if he knew anybody abroad that I could go and work with, sort of in a in a lab, basically right. doing genetics. And bless him, he came up with a few names. So I actually ended up working at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And I was in Israel for 10 months, but I soon realised that it was kind of being bent over a hot Petri dish. It, it just wasn't for me. I just couldn't get my head into it. So I sort of gave that up. And I, I got a lot of part-time jobs just to keep me going saved up some money stuck a backpack on my back and went traveling um, okay. for probably another year or so after that so you're aged about 19 20 at this stage yeah right no 21 21, 21 i think did you go around the world no no just mainly europe um, morocco spain france oh picked grapes in france that's the worst job i've ever had in Why? my life back breaking did you have to stand them afterwards and all that Stamp on them, yeah. though. <laughs> Thankfully not. Just picking them is bad enough. But like that sort of adventure thing was co- much more common back then. You know, like well, now people do it as they gap you, don't yeah, they? Yeah, before yeah. they go. Whereas my parents were kind of like, eh. I'm doing it now. <laughs> yeah, good. So what I, I what I decided what I decided to do is I, I got working at 18, and I just said, right, if I fucking work here hard now, I may be able to get out by 50, and then do my backpacking with a few bob in my pocket there you so go that's what i'm at there you go you see and i like that idea yeah. i think that kind of works yeah it does and so all this time you're traveling you're getting all these experiences and you're picking grapes and all that kind of shit <laughs> what what did you have any idea what you were going to do Not, am i allowed to swear you, on this? of course it's a podcast Not a fucking clue yeah yeah <laughs> swear away <laughs> don't say that or no. it'll be blue <laughs> Yeah, I'm not a clue. Were you afraid that you didn't have a clue? Do you remember? I was young. Yeah. You're not afraid when you're But a lot young, of people today are, are going, oh, I don't know, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I think, yeah, it's, it's actually quite different. I do some work, funnily enough, at the business school at Leeds University. And, and the kids there are so focused on yeah. getting something and working towards this job. And I never really was. Yeah. And but also, just, it doesn't matter. I just had a friend say to me that, you know, her son was missed points for something. And... He's, he's almost suicidal. And I say, it doesn't fucking matter, you no, know? It really All doesn't. it is is the universe saying, hey, sorry, not that way. That way you think, no, go this way. Yeah. I mean, I think sort of university for me, well, yeah, I, I wasn't going to be, a, it wasn't a career focused thing, but it made me into the person that I am and it made me, you know, help me discover music. Yeah. It, the friends that I made there are still my friends today. And it honed yeah. your analytics and all that stuff that, you know, your ability to problem solve, I guess, yeah. and get inquisitiveness. Yeah, so what? Did, where did you land when you got back? Well, I was it rough, rough land, trade? Yes, right. eventually. Um, my best mate, Ruth, who I'm seeing on Monday, um, Hello, Ruth. said, <laughs> <laughs> why didn't I do something in music? Because obviously I really like that and that's what kind of made me excited. People told me that a woman getting into the music industry would have to study, like do a, a typist secretary, be a secretary first and move up that way. Yeah. And I kind of looked at them and went, hmm. I want my own secretary. I don't want to be one. So I remember Rough Trade. I don't know an awful lot of 
bad, but it was very mold breaking, right? It was a it was a co op and all this stuff, and it was yeah. it was it was it only took bands that were had a kind of it was semi political. It was well, it was kind of semi political, and it was wasn't quite a co op, but it it was built on built on that basis. It, it was an, it was an anti big record label label. Yeah. Is that fair? Well, it yeah. wasn't a label. I, I work for the distribution company, so there right. still there still is a label, um, and, but there's a distribution company that that sort of built up around the label, yeah. and I actually work for the distribution company. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I started as a receptionist made sure it was my business to kind of know everybody that walked in and out and what they did and tried to piece together how the whole place worked. How did you get out from answering the phones? Do you remember, somebody, was there any one thing or yeah, you just had some, to keep... Well, somebody needed, um, in the production department, which is essentially what I do, um, they needed somebody to help check invoices because they were really behind on their invoices. And they obviously noted that I was quite sharp, so asked me, to do that so I went into that office to help with that and whilst I was there one of the guys that was working <laughs> phoned up from the airport and said I've left he quit. <laughs> I'm on my way to wherever he was on his way to right so job opening came up I went for the job and got it right and then so started as a junior got thrown in at the deep end and worked my way up quite quickly how long did you spend at Rough Trade only a couple of years. Is it still going now? No, God no. no. Rough Trade Records still exists. Right. And obviously there's the Rough Trade Shops exist. Yeah. So is it an but, example but of a the, brand that got hit by the collapse of the industry a bit as well? Or uh, was it, it other issues? Oh God no, it was a lot of other issues. Grew too big too quickly, tried to expand into America. America is a completely different marketplace to yeah. the UK, much bigger. You know, threw loads of money in there and, and didn't get anything back from it just kind of self-imploded I suppose I was very very sad at the end I got out before it completely went tits up could you see it coming <sighs> yeah, yeah there was definitely signs of it I wouldn't say that I read it and went I've got to get out before it all goes or did I don't know I can't I wouldn't give myself that much credit um I wasn't happy in my role we'd had a new managing director come in that I did not see eye to eye with for a number of reasons. Go on, you're hiding something. <laughs> it's a uh, long time well, ago. You don't was, have to yeah, mention names. Was, I won't mention names. We definitely didn't particularly like women in charge. He thought that the department was one person on a computer. I'd saw what was happening, so I'd actually done some business plans to show what I thought we, we could, could do, do to yeah. bring money in. He just waved it aside. And he also wanted me to use certain suppliers because he told Getting me back they, yeah, they scratched my back. I he was a their prick, sort of basically. All right. Yes, okay, and I good. refused to do that. And yeah. so I, I went to them and I said, look, make me redundant. It's the least you can do. And they did. So I left and started on my own. Is that when you started your own thing? Yeah. And what age were you? 25. What made you do that? I thought I had nothing to lose. I had a couple of grand of redundancy. And, and it was literally a couple of grand. And I thought, I've got nothing to lose. The worst that can happen is it fails and I get another job, which yeah. I know I can get. Obviously, I'd done the sums. Yeah. I'd looked into it and I spoke to a record label that I knew and said, if I did this, would you support me? I spoke to my suppliers and said, if I did this, would you give me a small credit line? They all said yes. What's more, the record label said that they had some spare space in their offices so I could go and sit in, in their offices and Great. start up. 
so they were getting their manufacturing for much much cheaper than they ever had done so it was a winner for them yeah i knew the amount of work that they gave me would mean that i could survive just on their work and so so that that's kind of how i started so i knew i had a base and yeah. i knew i could do the sums were you were you there. cocky or, or nervous or were you pretty you sound like you got all your shit together like you knew you knew really I'm, what every, you were going to do everyone thinks i'm a real big risk taker but i'm i'm not it sounds like i am i do the homework first it was a risk but it was a mitigated risk because if it didn't work i'd get another job it should work if i've got a guarantee of work from someone and i know what money it's going to bring me in it didn't fail though how why didn't it fail because i knew i had a set amount of work i knew what i was doing i was good at what i was doing yeah um, I managed to build up a customer base. Again, I think my, the second customer is still a customer of mine. Yeah. And then it was word of mouth. And yeah, I was out all the time as well. I, I like to call it networking. Yeah, party. <laughs> Watching back bands drinking parties. Yeah, yeah. But people got obviously got to know me. And so people and people would trust me. What, how did your staff go? Like, when did you have to hire a lot of people? Or? After the first year, I hired one person who was with me up until relatively recently so it's quite organic to start with but then when I started buying other companies mm. you get a lot of stuff in with, with that them, yeah. so that so that sort of then swells the numbers so at five years increases. how big were you oh crap I don't know eight maybe right. six or eight okay okay and then it's sort of you know it went up and then it's gone down a bit and I mean we're we're about 50 now so we're the biggest we've ever been now yeah. which is quite bizarre <laughs> in yeah. some ways yeah it is and what about just away from the the uh, the job what, what 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 other bits and pieces have you there's a Nicaraguan connection explain <laughs> <laughs> um, I went on holiday to Nicaragua in 2006 maybe 2006 2007 I was there two years ago you for Christmas, I bloody was. Where I was, did you go? I was in uh, San Juan del Sur, where I interviewed uh, Julie Spear, who set up the, the school there. Did then we went there? to... I um, see my, my brain is not thinking Nicaragua. No, Granada, yeah. Did you go to the islands there? No. We stayed in Granada in this lovely little Airbnb run by a French family. And it was on this lovely land. And, you know, outside is just all the mayhem. And I liked it. I've so is your hotel in San Juan del Sur? Nope, it's um, in well, it's in Granada. It's actually off Granada. You know, there's a huge lake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's these letters there. Yeah. So I went on holiday. This is very brief. Bought an island. Of course you do. As <laughs> you do. Built a sustainable hotel on it. Ah. Um, it's called Hikaro, J-I-C-A-R-O. There'll be a link to this on the blurb of the podcast. <laughs> I suppose kind of you know, roll back a bit becoming kind of successful in music industry mm. one of my passions has always been traveling right and so once i was able to afford the time and the money obviously to be able to travel that's what i do um so i i try to travel at least two big holidays a year once right. in the summer once in the winter and little breaks in between right. yeah it's kind of work-life balance reap what you sow yeah, and everything of course which a lot of bosses don't tend to do. Yeah. It gives you a much better view of things Absolutely. as well when you spend some time away. Yeah, so I, I did these big holidays and there, there's some friends of mine who always swap tales of where's good to go. Um, and they said, oh, you know, you'll love Nicaragua, go over there, go visit this place. We met the family, we met the architect. 
there was an island for sale. <laughs> I looked into it. I did some sums. I did yeah. some research. Um, I came back a few months later. I went to um, South by Southwest Festival. I go to yeah. in um, Austin quite a lot. Houston, direct link to Nicaragua. So went back, had another look, found people, chatted to people, bought the island. How big is the island? <laughs> it's about the size of a football pitch. An acre. Um, whatever that is. Yeah, about an acre. <laughs> so Nicaragua for me was like, I lived in Thailand for three years, and I, I said about Nicaragua, it feels like what Thailand was like in about 1970. I imagine, yes. You know what I mean? Like, it's, there's it's still, still people on horses going around. Oh, and, yeah, absolutely. You know, and cows just walking yeah, down Yeah, walking the around and dusty roads and yeah. nothing being done. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it's, yeah, it's still a developing country. Was it an it's impulse buy? Because, you know, you don't do impulse buys. You said, yeah, look at the money and the... No, I, I did have... I did do some research. Yeah. You know, there, there, there wasn't anything of the type there. The place in San Juan del Sur, a place called Morgan's Rock, they, they were obviously making a success of it. What made you decide, A, it's, well, first of all, it's hard to get to, it's far away, it's also slightly unstable or has been in the past. 30 years ago. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> these things can happen. You know, Costa Rica is a, is a huge, huge developments going on there. Yeah. I also went to, I didn't go to Costa Rica, but I did go to uh, Panama, which I actually was thinking, mm, that could be an option, because it's, it's, it's very, cost of living is really low in these yeah. places, yeah. What was the overriding thing that said, oh, you know, I will do that? Were you putting something back a little bit as well? Like, was the idea of an eco yes. thing coming? Yeah, it, it, it is It is very much so. It's, um, you know, we only employ locals. It was, you know, built just with local materials, by local people. Yeah. Although the, the architect and the project manager, both very bizarrely British. There's very few British people that have settled there. Yeah. And I managed to find them, just coincidentally. Yeah. Um, so how long did it take to build? How long did it take to Midlife crisis. Good an answer as like any. Seemed like a good idea at the time. I had done the sums. Okay, so the risk here, the mitigated risk, was if I buy it and I build on it and it ends up in budget and what I like, the worst that can happen is I sell it for more than I've put into it. Yeah. So that was my mitigated risk there. I did actually think at the beginning that I would do it keep it for a couple of years maybe and then look Flip to sell it. it on but i'm it's 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 part of me now so I've so you have to go into the main airport and it's a two-hour no it's you get picked up at managua it's um about one of course, hour managua's to a little get, bit outside. yeah okay yeah, yeah it's about one hour to get to the port and yeah. then 15 minute boat ride yeah and we 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 we, we pick you up <laughs> we yes. put you in a nice air conditioned car it, and is it five star <laughs> or four or i I would. I'd say five. If you look on five for Nicaragua. Well, five for, for to yeah. be honest with you, five for most places. Okay. We're down as a four star. Right. But you get a star knocked off for things like we don't have disabled access because we're on a rocky island. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many rooms are in? Nine rooms. Okay. Um, swimming pool, bar, restaurant. We include. We do packages that include everything obviously because well apart from booze that's extra so it's just a complete we do, we, switch off kind of thing you do yoga and all that stuff yeah, yeah yoga okay. on the deck every day I think when you speak to some people over there that have built they don't what really annoys me is, is, is people tend to because it's quite a cheap country they try to go cheaper and cheaper and cut corners and cut corners and not do things right whereas I paid 
good wages, got good people, got good workmen, yeah. didn't cut corners and did everything as I was asked to do it. And you get a good result that way. Yeah. And yeah. You know, why treat people any differently when you're in a foreign country than yeah. you would in your own? Yeah, yeah. You'd be, no, you of think course. you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. It's a very un-British <laughs> attitude, I might add, Karen. But yes, I agree with you. At least you've learned something. You could open one in Ireland any time. <laughs> <laughs> So what's the future for that? Are you going to keep hold on to? Do you, like, do you go back twice a year now? You have to go back three and... to four times. I okay. try. It doesn't always work out that way. Um, it's an amazing country. I mean, it's oh, it's, it's massive. Beautiful. It's beautiful. It's like just got forests going on forever, hasn't yeah, it? Like, and, yeah, and also yeah, and the beaches as well are just spectacular. And yeah. go for surfing and obviously, and the lake's absolutely massive. And you so yeah, and we run a lot of trips out as well. And the service is really great and. We put money into the local, well, not money, we, we built a fresh water system for the school, mm. but it's not just the school, it's all the neighbouring community as well who've never had fresh water before. They had to have their water brought in in big containers. Yeah. So they've done that. We've bought electricity on there. We've, we've started a health centre and getting people into the health centre. Yeah. So we're doing a lot of work with the, with the local right. communities. So, what um, do you think of the way, like, when you look at the world? Like, so you're, you're working over in a, still a third world country. Where do you think we're going? Are you, are you positive we're or negative? Fucked. Yeah, <laughs> not to put too fine a point on it. Yeah, and, uh, obviously, Brexit nightmare. Yeah, Trump crazed nightmare. Yeah, global warming yeah. not helping. We're we're doing this <laughs> interview on the day where t- where Houston, which we just talked about, which is where she flew down to see Nick Gregg, was underwater at the moment and people are dying. Uh, and everyone's still denying. I don't know whether there's that all of these things though are coming together as a kind of a, you know, it's almost like something is tapping its foot. Going, okay, what right. Okay, how about that? Okay, that. Okay, that. <laughs> yeah, all right, hello. that. Okay, yeah, something like we eventually go. Okay, shit, we better do something about it. There may be the galvanization of humanity. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'm. Well, you don't, I mean, it's a lot different to. People are more aware, I think, than what they used to be. I mean, I, I was, and I'm not anymore, I hasten to add, vegetarian from when I was about 19, ah. for about 19 years, going through pescatarian via, ve- well, pescatarian, vegetarian, pescatarian, vegan, yeah. and then back out the other side. Oh, so you're eating meat again, are you? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> but, but when I, but, you know, this was quite some time ago, and people thought, I was crazy. I was alternative. Mm. It was, yeah, it was a, a completely different lifestyle. You couldn't get anything vegan. God, traveling as a vegetarian was really yeah, hard. Yeah. And now, you know, at least that perception's changed a but lot. But I think one of the things I think that in 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 a short time, a hundred or two hundred years, I think future generations look back and think, go, we were fucking advanced. We were civilized. We knew shit." And yet we still treated animals. I mean, I think it's going to be the biggest stain. I mean, you know, there's ethnic cleansing and genocides and stuff that happened that with human beings, which we are ashamed about today. But there's also this thing where the, the, the thing that I'll probably eat tonight or you eat has probably had a terrible life. And we I kind do, of blank I, it I out. Have to, I have to. Ref- I'm, look, I'm very, very lucky. I am able to afford to. Yeah. And I do, you know, we buy locally from small shops and farm, yeah. we try yeah. to do it from farmers markets. So yeah. I actually do try to eat ethically as much as I can. Yeah. I don't ask the curry house across the road where they're... Where exactly. They're, no. and nor nor <laughs> can you. My view, I mean, I've, I, girlfriends of mine have been vegetarian. I really support it and I, I kind of feel a bit guilty, you know. But I, I, I also feel that there needs to be ideas, creativity and how to... 
really meaningfully achieve it. Like, for example, if restaurants were only allowed to sell, you know, meat three days a week, right? Yeah. Um, you know, some weird thing like that. <laughs> They'd have to then start working on, okay, you're only allowed to sell beef three days a week. And by the way, in 2015, 2015 it's going to be two days a week. And in 2015, you know, and that will get creativity in food making and in chefs and... I think it has started slightly. I think there are a lot of chefs out there that are now that wouldn't have before thought creatively about vegetarian food, and definitely are now. Again, very lucky. I go out to eat yeah, quite a lot. I know. And you, you, yeah, and I've definitely seen a shift and definitely seen yeah. a changeover. So that's that's quite good. How do I feel? I don't know. I mean, you know, to be perfectly frank, I I do. Sorry, all my friends that have got kids. I love your kids. Oh, you um, never had kids? I've never had Me kids. Me neither. Yay. <laughs> it's hard to find someone. <laughs> I mean, Best I've, thing I've, I've I never got, did. I've got quite a few friends that haven't. But I'm, I'm kind of glad because I wouldn't want to bring them into what yeah, I yeah. see as such an unsecured future of a world. Yeah. And, and definitely I feel that more than when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and there's, def- there's more conflict. I agree with there's you. More, there seems to be more crazies around. I I'm talking about political leaders, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we're just getting and old. Yeah, and yeah, that but very possibly I, I, is the case. I, I tend to agree with you too. Last question: What you don't have kids, but what would you, if you had the opportunity to go back to your, what seems to be very confident nineteen-year-old self, would you say if you could meet her again? <laughs> Do what you did. Yeah, that's what I'd <laughs> say to her after hearing that. <laughs> I don't think anyone should regret anything. Thing yeah. because it's everything that you do and everything you go through and I've had some tricky times yeah it makes you part of what you are and, and the old dad actually yeah, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger yeah. what about advice to a girl who's fretting at 18 now who's just come out of a genetics uh, genetic <laughs> engineering degree <laughs> or somewhere just or just going into one yeah well, I think you know the world's your oyster, and, and yeah, and anything is possible if you put yeah you know, if you put your mind to it, and if you want something hard enough, you know, go out and get it. Yeah, but the world's made up of so many different types of people, and yeah, and there are a lot of people that are happy in sort of mainstream life and mainstream jobs, and, and so on and so forth. And thank God for that, mm. because you know that's what makes companies tick. Because mm-hmm. you know it is the staff that 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 make the companies run. So, yeah, just go and go and do what you want to do. Change the world. Really. <laughs> that would be become yeah, president of America or something. <laughs> <laughs> or Britain. Any. Karen and May, well, we leave it there. Thanks a million for coming on a pint with Shawnee B. It was great to talk to you. Good luck in Nicaragua, and the best of luck with the rest of the day. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>